Psalm 96, verse number 1. Sing, sing a new song. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are, are idols. But the Lord, the Lord, Jehovah, made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him, all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness, and he shall judge the people with his truth. Yes. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider the Lord and our relationship to our Savior, we pray that we might see that relationship properly and that it might truly exist with each heart here. Speak to us, we pray, and glorify yourself before us that we might properly worship. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Let's say that uh, you, you want to bake a simple lemon-flavored cake. In order to do that, you have two options. You have the easy way and you have the hard way. You could mix the correct amounts of butter and eggs and flour and baking soda and baking powder and salt and lemon flavoring and a few other uh, organic non-GMO ingredients. Or you could open that box that you got at Walmart adding only water and eggs and vegetable oil. Inside that box and inside the bag that's inside that box, you have all that you need, along with a number of other unpronounceable things that you don't particularly need. You may not appreciate this, but our worship can be illustrated in either of those two approaches. We can tear open a worship box and assume that all the ingredients are there. We just need to mix in a couple of little things. And then we whip it all together without any genuine consideration of what it is we're, we're doing. It's just in the box, so we do it that way. Or we can worship the Lord from scratch, thinking about how much butter and flour and eggs we are using, mixing in those special ingredients that make this worship actually flavorful and personal. We can go either way. 
As we noted last week, Psalm 96 is one of many songs of worship that we have in the Word of God. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Last week I tried to point out the grounds from which our worship should come. I gave that message the title, The Knees from Which We Worship. We should worship God understanding who He is. He is really God. He is the creator of all of us. We need to worship the Lord from the understanding of uh, who we are. We're a bunch of wretched sinners saved by the grace of God. We should also worship Jehovah, remembering all that he has done. Remembering what he has promised to do for us. He has blessed us with his daily care, and he's blessed many of us with his eternal salvation by grace, received through faith. Kneeling on that foundation, understanding those things, this evening, let's consider the worship ingredients, the things which uh, worship should involve, those ingredients which please the taste buds of our God. Please forgive the simple illustration. And pardon me for saying, we have to put the ingredients of our worship into clean bowls of appropriate size. Mixing these ingredients together with a clean whisk or a clean spoon or whatever implement you're wanting to use. Remember, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4.24. Included in that truth, there are other things most definitely, But included in that truth to which the Lord Jesus referred are conviction, fascination, adoration, and oblation. That four-point outline that I came up with a month ago. We're finally getting to it. The word conviction actually takes us back to what we were talking about last week. Brother Hogue has reminded us We cannot draw nigh unto the Lord unless we know to whom it is we're turning, to whom we're drawing nigh. But at an increasing speed over the last two centuries, America has been reducing Jehovah, modifying their idea of God, editing, amending Even to the point that religious people no longer really understand who God is. Mm. I mentioned last week that Christian theologian who doesn't want to use the word holy Mm. in describing God. For most of the world, the Lord is a cruel, unprincipled ogre who we need... How shall I put it? Who must, we must have the, uh, uh, the help of, of Jesus to approach God. 
or if not Jesus, at least Jesus' mother to help us uh, uh, meet him. What foolishness. For some people, God is not strong enough or willing enough to save a person today and keep him saved into eternity. They have some sort of different God. For others, the Lord is not sufficiently sovereign or king enough to save those he chooses. For much of Christendom, God is a a wimpy, uh, namby-pamby jellyfish who needs man's permission to do things. That's not God. That's certainly not the God that this psalmist is referring to. But that's what we have in our society today. How can anyone worship a God like that? That sort of God needs to be pitied. Like Dagon, that we referred to, has to be propped back up after he falls over. Drawing from this psalm, we see that the God who deserves universal worship is great and fearful and genuine. Can I say genuine? He's sufficiently powerful to create everything out of nothing. The God that we are to worship is a miracle-doing God, creating God. He is sovereign. He possesses the right to judge his creation. And he's even laid out the standard and said, here it is. He is honorable. He is majestic. He is beautiful. These things are all contained in this psalm. He can meet any and every one of our needs. Physical, spiritual, emotional, he's there. It sounds ridiculous coming from my lowly perspective, but the Lord is worthy of our worship. It sounds as if I have examined Jehovah and determined, ah, yeah, he's, he's good enough to worship. But that's not it at all. I really have nothing to do with it. My opinion about God doesn't matter one iota. He is who he is. And this psalmist and David and other psalmists say, come on, let's worship this God who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God is so infinitely worthy of worship that we, who are nothing more than redeemed sinners, should beg for permission to worship him. But that's not the way it is. The Lord, through his ambassadors, tells us, come on, worship me. I will receive your worship. Your worship. We may have confidence in worshiping the Lord, having convictions about his nature and his grace. We can know whom it is we have believed. And we can know who we worship. We can have convictions. We, if we're going to do it right, we must have convictions. Dagon is not worth worshiping. Ashtoreth, Baal, doesn't matter. They're all worthless. I will call our second ingredient in this recipe for proper worship fascination. And I hesitate here. Once again, in this, I am unworthy 
and actually incapable of uh, finishing the point. <laughs> I don't have the words to adequately express what I believe that the Bible teaches about the Lord. So I'm using the word fascination. But I don't know that I have any good synonyms to augment the word fascination. I go to Google and I say, give me some synonyms. And I go to this little book, uh, my thesaurus, and I say, give me some synonyms. And I have a bigger one and I give me some, and nothing really helps me in this particular case. Should we worship the Lord with passion? Is that an appropriate word? Should I use the word excitement? Fascination, excitement? Oh. How about uh, preoccupation? Mm. How about obsession? An obsession in regard to someone other than one's spouse is either a sin or actually a crime according to human standards. Obsessed with someone. <clears throat> obsessed with someone is probably not a good thing, generally speaking. But can we be obsessed with the Lord? Is there anything wrong with being obsessed with God? Have you ever looked at something and been unable to look away for a while? That it just so enthralls you? My wife. Oh. Okay. Oh. Oh. Glacier Bay in Alaska. Just, do we have to leave? Can't we stay here? Ah. Uh, shouldn't we be so fascinated with the Lord that we can't draw our eyes or our minds away from Him? That's the way it should be. Reality, we're, we're failures. Three times the psalmist says, sing, sing, come on, let's sing. He has day to day, let's, let's sing and speak of our salvation constantly. Yes. I hope that you have experienced this. I've mentioned it a time or two. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, one of the hymns that we sang yeah. last night yeah. or last Wednesday is going through my mind. Yeah. There it is. I'm not singing it, but it's there. It's being sung in my head. Yeah. Now, I have to admit that this is not exactly to my point because that's subconscious somehow, but there it is. Mm -hmm. We're possessed by it. In addition to those occasions, there are times when a scripture, I will think of a scripture yes. throughout the day, thinking of this scripture. Eventually, I end up preaching it. Maybe not. I will say, in that regard, that those scriptures give me something wonderful to consider. Mm -hmm. They're coming from the Word of God. They're coming from the heart of yes. the Lord. Sometimes the word fascination applies to uh, that verse that I'm considering. I'm fascinated by it. Look at this, all this wonderful material in these uh, uh, 18, 20 words. 
Don't Revelation 21 and 22 suggest the fascination that we will have when we enter God's eternity? Poor language. One of these days we shall see our Savior and his name will be in our forehead. Doesn't that just say we'll be constantly thinking about our Savior? And there will be no need for candles or light bulbs or the sun because the Lord God will be our light. Everywhere we look, there he will be. Everything that we will do will be in the light of his glory. Then we will be totally fascinated by the Lord. We should be today, if that's the right word to use. I couldn't come up with a better one. We will never worship properly. Our worship will never be what the Lord really deserves if we aren't truly fascinated by the Lord. Saturated with him. Fully occupied by him. We should be excited with the opportunity to come into his presence with thanksgiving and praise. I don't believe that Psalm 96 was sung in a monotone. Even though not everybody had the voice of an opera singer. It was sung with ardor. It was sung with passion. It was sung with excitement and joy. And that excitement didn't come because the tune, you've heard Jewish tunes, haven't you? It wasn't because the tune was particularly thrilling or lyrical. The excitement came because the lyrics were heavenly and the message was about the saints' first love, the Lord. Think for a moment about the, the hallelujah chorus which I hope you will hear several times in the next few weeks. The Hallelujah Chorus. There's only one way to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. And that's with all the gusto and the the guts that we have. In 1743, when the British king first heard it, the Hallelujah Chorus comes, if I remember correctly, somewhere around two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the Messiah, written by Handel. So here was this king, and he had heard some really good stuff. The, holy, the Hallelujah Chorus is not the only thing in that, that uh, oratorio. So the king had heard a lot of good stuff. But then they finally reached that point, and uh, they started to sing... Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The the guy just jumped to his feet. He was so overcome with the, the power of those few words that he jumped to his feet. It is tradition now when in a concert situation, when the hallelujah chorus has begun, everyone stands to their feet. But it's, for the most part, tradition. Should be more than that. Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise you the Lord. Praise you the Lord. The worship that we should give to the Lord should be so exciting that good things flow out of us spontaneously. Jumping to our feet. In addition to conviction and adoration, 
excuse me, conviction and fascination should be adoration. What is it to adore? I suppose, well, I did look it up. One of the synonyms is love. But there's, there's a lot more than love in adoration. A lot more. We sh if we adore someone, it should be with more than just our heart. It should be with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and all our mind. We adore. Adoration takes fascination to a higher level, takes it to a sacrificial level. Adoration is love that's reached a level of white heat, melting everything that it touches. I have heard a great many things about David Brainerd. And some of it's so far-fetched, I don't know if it's true. Uh, here's one story. That early missionary to the Delaware Indians, uh, in order to be alone, would often go out into the winter weather and kneel down in the snow, just totally oblivious to the wind and the snow falling around him and, and the cold and so on. And there he would begin to pray and to worship the Lord. He'd be so lost in his fellowship with Christ that the snow around him would melt. And it would melt in an increasingly large circle, I have been told. I have read of a man named Fletcher who had a little room into which he would go to worship his Savior. It was literally his prayer closet. There he would spend hours expressing his love to Christ for his grace. When the man eventually died, his family went into this little closet and it is said that they found that his knees actually had created little grooves on the floorboards. He was so passionate in his worship. Judy and I have been married a number of years now. Five plus decades. I wonder how many times I have told Judy that I love her. I have, have no idea. I have to admit, she has probably told me more often than I have told her. But it's pretty close to even. And I will also admit that usually she says it's first. But there are occasions when I uh, take the lead and I will tell her that I love her before she tells me. Despite all those times in all those years, I don't think, and Judy of course will correct me if I'm wrong, because she loves me. Uh, I don't think I have ever said I adore you. I don't think I have. And I don't think that she has ever used that word toward me. I love my children, but Jackie would probably tell you that I have never told her that I adore her. There's only one in all the universe who deserves that very special verb of endearment. The Lord we should adore. Everyone else, love with all you got. Adore? It's special. I think so. The Lord deserves to be adored. 
Isn't that synonymous with worship? This adoration carries with it a desire to be poured out at God's feet. All the soul, the heart, the mind, and the strength. In adoration, we yearn to be emptied that we might be filled with the one that we love. One more. True worship includes something that I'll call oblation. That's not ablation, brother. It's oblation. Verse 8. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. The Hebrew word that's translated offering here is rendered offering 164 times. 75% of the time it is translated offering. The next most common translation is present and then gift and then oblation. Oblation. Oblation is a synonym for offering. So the verse could be, I'm not saying it should be, the verse could be translated, bring an oblation when you come into the courts of the Lord. Interestingly, five times that same word is translated sacrifice, 2% of the time. It's not that it isn't a sacrifice, but there are other Hebrew words better fit to be translated sacrifice. How is a sinner like me going to be admitted into the throne room of the holy God, even to worship? There's only one key, one passport, one access code. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that God has established. A righteous and perfect sacrifice is necessary for any of us to be able to worship Jehovah. That goes without saying. But I think when the word offering or oblation is used here, the psalmist is talking about something beyond that sacrifice. Mm. When we come before the Lord in the beauty of holiness, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should come with something that actually costs us something we intend to worship. It's not that we're trying to replace. It's not that we're trying to add to or duplicate what the Savior has provided for us. It is that in our adoration of our Heavenly Father, we should be willing to expend ourselves. As David said to Aruna in 2 Samuel 24, 24, Neither will I bring burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth not cost me anything. Just as words of love are cheap, words of worship can be cheap too. The Lord says, bring me an offering. Bring me an oblation. The Lord has no need for our coins or our houses or our lands. He, owns the, he who owns the cattle on a thousand hills says in Psalm 50, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. Rather, he says, offer unto God thanksgiving. Pay the vows, thy vows unto the Most High. Mm. Call upon me in the day of trouble. 
The Lord through Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Peter says in 2.5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. What is an oblation? It should be the sacrifices or the sacrifice of ourselves in our worship of the Lord. We need the oblation. He doesn't. We need the oblation. If we have a recipe for cake or cookies or bread or pastry and we follow the directions to the letter, a tasty treat should be the result. But if we omit one ingredient, depending on what that particular ingredient is, it may not be edible. In our worship, the Lord deserves, at the very least, our conviction, our fascination, our adoration, and oblation as well. 